Also, another question before we get into the sermon tonight. Um, does anybody want to read the text tonight? I forgot to ask somebody. Psalm 23, 1 through 6, super simple. Anna, you want to do it? Okay, cool, in a few minutes. Okay, so we are going to be looking at Psalm 23. We're going to take this week, next week, and the week after that to kind of slowly walk through this really short psalm. It is probably one of the most famous psalms that have ever um, been recorded, and you probably know it. As soon as we read it, you've, you'll probably have heard it, maybe printed on a sign. And um, we, about four years ago, as a youth ministry, some of you might remember this, we um, took a few, few weeks to walk through Psalm 23 and have conversations about the peace of God. And it was a beneficial teaching series and conversation um, because life can be anything but peaceful at times. Am I right? Yeah, life is full of chaos. It's full of uncertainty. Um, Some might be processing um, trauma, anxiety, depression, sexuality, fill in the blank. But there can be so many things that we are processing that can cause chaos and inner turmoil. Um, And so if you want to know more about all of the book of Psalms, we've been there the last few weeks. You can go to, if you're using the YouVersion notes, um, there is a link to a Bible project video um, to illustrate illustrate the different themes throughout the book of Psalms. And there's also a book that is listed in the YouVersion notes. It's called Grace in the Valley. Um, It's by a guy named Heath Adamson. And it's an incredible book um, pulling apart the truths within Psalm 23. And so if you want to read a book about this psalm, um, I highly recommend that. Um, And so the, the idea behind the next few weeks as we dive into Psalm 23, is to explore the tension between what we experience in life and what we read about in our Bibles. So how do we find rest for our souls in uncertainty and unsettling times? How do we trust that the involvement of God in our lives is enough? And the, really the big question is, how do we ultimately find peace. So with that being said, would you stand with Anna and I as we, as she, I'm not going to, as she reads Psalm 23. Hello. Wait, wait, where is it? Oh, is it right here? Okay. Sorry. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So like I said, we're going to look at these in different parts. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 tonight. And if you were to summarize uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, kind of the main thought that you could uh, come to is this. The Lord is my guide and brings peace to my soul. The Lord is my guide and, it brings, and he brings peace to my soul. I don't know about you, but when I read Psalm 23, whether it's verses 1, 2, and 3, or verses 1 through 6, I think of peace 
and tranquility. I think I have this picture right here. It is um, standing on the stock. I have no idea where this is. It was just on the internet. Um, but when we look at water that is this perfect and this smooth and this calm, and we see all of these reflections, um, two two kind of emotions kind of probably well up inside of us. If we were like live on location at this site, um, one we would probably be in awe of just the smoothness of the water. We would probably hear birds chirping. We would hear maybe a fish jumping in the background, and we'd probably feel peace and tranquility. And the next thing that we'd probably feel is we'd want to pick up a rock and disrupt that peace, wouldn't we? Isn't that water just begging to have a giant rock thrown in it? Yes, it is. But I, but I think of, when I think about peace and tranquility, I think of quiet I think of remote places. I don't think of busy streets. I don't think about busy days. I don't think about my household because my household is a lot of times anything but peace and tranquility with three little kids. And um, I don't think about concerts. I don't think about loud environments. When I picture the person who wrote these phrases in Psalm 23, I think of wool socks, a fireplace, cozy pajamas, and coffee or tea if that's kind of your jam. But as crazy as it sounds, this psalm was not written next to a fireplace. It was not written um, with tea in his hand and a blanket in a warm house. The guy who wrote these phrases wrote this while starving, afraid, being hunted by an army, and alone in the wilderness. And that doesn't sound remotely close to what we just read. These phrases in Psalm 23 sound like a hippie. Like, if a hippie were to write a portion of the Bible, it would probably sound a lot like Psalm 23. Those those phrases sound like a person who is at peace with life and is at peace with people. But what if I told you that the person who wrote these phrases, it was written by a person who was at peace with life and at peace with people? And the general response, you know, between everyone in the room would probably be that there's no way that you can write Psalm 23, the words and use language that's there while experiencing what the writer was experiencing. How could you have this outlook on life while you're experiencing those circumstances? Or even how could you have that outlook on God? But the question really is this, like, what if it is possible? What if peace in the midst of chaos was possible? What if peace during your name and reputation being dragged through the mud was possible? What if peace during questioning was possible? What if you could find peace in God even when circumstances didn't seem to line up with what you believe about God? And the psalmist states in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And we're fairly certain that the, the writing of this psalm, King David of Israel, um, he was being hunted by his son Absalom, and he was trying to kill him so that Absalom, King David's son, could become king. And uh, yeah, so how would you, how, imagine that. Your son is hunting you because he wants to be king and wants to dethrone you. And so we read in, the, in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Before David was a king, he was a shepherd. And we can read all about that in First and Second Samuel. But when, but when David uses this picture of the Lord being his shepherd, he's using something familiar to describe his relationship and his experiences with God. And in this culture... 
Shepherds were not seen as high and elite people, um, but they were viewed as caring um, providers and protectors of their flock. And this isn't something that just David talks about with God, saying that God is his shepherd. Um, in verse, uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus states that he is the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for his sheep. And he also says that he is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice and the sheep are his people. And shepherds guide and direct their sheep into what is best for them and to take them to a place of nourishment. In what we know as the the Middle East in today's world, there will be patches of green pastures and green grass during the winter and the spring months. But in the summer and fall, shepherds would need to move their flocks in order to find a place that was green to bring nourishment and to bring food to their sheep. And so in this cultural context, um, these green pastures were a, quote, seasonal phenomenon. But God's care is not seasonal, but constant and abundant, as one commentator says. He's saying that in here it says that, that, that the Lord lies us down in green pastures. Now, in this context, like I said, they were moving them along, and it was seasonal to where they could find green grass. But what David is saying is that God is constant. That God is always our provider. That God is always in abundance. And we will, we'll talk about this more next week. To, but to get to the green pastures, you must walk through the dry, desolate, and barren land. And the shepherd is the one who guides the sheep through these places to find the green pastures. He protects them from harm and provides refuge from animals attacking and killing his sheep. Why? Why does a shepherd have to do all of these different things? Sheep have a terrible sense of direction. Sheep have a terrible defense system. They're just fluffy. That's pretty much all they have going for them. Their eyes are on the side of their head. They can't really see much, and they just look weird. Um, But but sheep also have a a terrible reputation of following blindly, um, which leads to harmful or even deadly situations. Uh, A couple months ago, um, Kyle, on a Sunday morning as a sermon illustration, he was telling this story about these thousands and thousands of sheep. Um, There was a couple that walked off of a cliff in Europe, and they all just kind of started following. And um, I think he's, there was like 1,500 sheep that like walked off of this cliff, but the top like 500 of them all survived because they fell on this massive pile of sheep. And so you had all of these sheep that were crushed, and it was, it was crazy. And so we see that sheep are not smart. They, have, um, they need someone to help them survive, to guide them to what is good. And like I said um, just a moment ago, we are like the sheep. All throughout the Bible, um, humanity is described as sheep in, in need of a shepherd, in need of guidance. Um, in, the, in the ancient Middle East, there were so many places that were barren and desolate. So many places that didn't feel abundant. So many places that didn't feel or look like it was the best for sheep. And sometimes as we are also navigating through life, it doesn't seem like we are living in the abundance of God. Especially if we're asking huge questions, if we're questioning our faith, if we're doubting our faith, if we're doubting our existence, it can feel like, God, where are you in the midst of this? But what if God intentionally takes us through desolate places that don't feel abundant? But what if it's necessary to get to another fruitful place? 
Mark 4 tells a story about a storm that Jesus and his disciples were in. Jesus was teaching these crowds of people, and afterward he told his disciples who were fishermen to get into this boat and to set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We read this story in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Does anybody know which one is the stern? Which side? Nice. What is the left and the right side of a boat? Port and starboard, is that what it is? Nice. You guys are smart. John is smart. Good job, John. Where was I? Oh, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, which is the front of the boat. He was sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it completely calmed. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And obviously there are you know, probably four sermons within just these few verses. But there's some key words that help us understand who Jesus is and how he works. Verse 35, Jesus tells them to get into the boat knowing that there will be a storm. Verse 38, Jesus was asleep while they were in the storm. Verse 40, Jesus asked them why they were afraid and why they still lacked faith. So what do we see in this story? God leads us into the places and seasons of life that can be chaotic, feeling overwhelmed, and feel like no good can come from these seasons. But what if God knew about these things before he led you there? God leads you into into that season and is, quote, asleep. He's not really asleep. But what if God isn't asleep in the way of not caring, but in the way of asking this question of, will you lean on me in this season? God leads you into the desolate place, and and when we ask him why he isn't there or why he doesn't care that we are in over our heads, he asks us a question, do you trust me? And God has proved his faithfulness in the past, and he will continue to prove his faithfulness in the future. So what I'm getting at here is that if God is leading me through a desolate place, what could change if I see a green pasture and still waters that are found in the presence of God? What if when David wrote this psalm during unrest, uneasiness, stress, and anxiousness, he knew that God would see him through, and so he could see this season not as desolate, but for a purpose? What if he could rest in the midst of chaos? Imagine with me uh, Times Square in New York City. I have a picture of it. Imagine this is your life. It's loud and chaotic, which is probably pretty true of most of you. Imagine that every person in this picture was a task that you needed to complete. That's overwhelming. Every person represented is a hard conversation with your family or friends. Every person represented a season of life that seemed not fair and overwhelming. Every person represented a question you had about life. 
What if the best thing was not to complete the task, have the conversation, try and control the chaos or find an answer? What if the best way to answer all these questions, to have all of these conversations was just to take a nap? How amazing would that be? You could just ignore all of those things, ignore all of the people and just rest. You wouldn't need to stress about anything, would you? You could just go to sleep. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to have hard conversations, that we don't have hard questions, or we don't experience deep hurt. But what I am saying is that what if we were able to trust the good shepherd that cares for you, loves you, and always will be with you in the midst of this? What if David realized that even though he was being hunted, his name was being ruined, and he should have been the king of Israel, that his best defense was not to fight, but to rest in the faithfulness of God? What if when we trust that God will provide and that he will, quote, restore my soul, as Psalm 23 says, those stressful and chaotic situations wouldn't be on our shoulders, but on God's shoulders? David said that when we trust in God as our shepherd, we can find contentment, that we can find provision, that we can find rest and restoration, that we can trust God in any seemingly desolate place, knowing he will guide and direct us through it. Knowing that is one thing, but putting your trust in God is another thing and putting it into practice. Part of what makes this church community so special is knowing that people love you and they're there for you no matter what. People that will listen to you, talk with you, cry with you, and encourage you. And these are the reasons why we exist. Because we are not in this world apart, but we are together. And that we are the family of God and that we can trust one another and we can ultimately trust God. And so as we bring all this to a conclusion, I want to give one more just final thought, and it's this. Finding rest in God as our shepherd is the best thing we can do in any season. So no matter where you are, no matter what questions you're asking, no matter what you're wrestling with, finding rest in God as as our shepherd is the best thing we can do in any season. And so in our small groups, we are going to talk about just kind of the practicality of that. Like, what does that look like for us as people? What does that look like for us to put it into practice in our daily lives? And so that's what we're going to do. Um, The guys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the front. Um, High school is on this side. Middle school is on this side. And then um, your small group leader will dismiss you when you are finished.